This episode of Inspiration Point is brought to you by the Quests and Chaos Podcast Network and the generous patrons over on patreon.com slash inspiration point. So we'd like to give a big shout out to Garlic Bread, Eric, and Spike. And at our Muse $20 level, we'd like to thank Prostaskis, Leroy, Kate, Jeremy, Jenna, Jacob, Falangor, Cheryl, A Bad Idea, Red Dead Coquette, and Robert Hans. Thank you for helping us bring a little inspiration out into the world. And now, on with the show. Well, what do you know? We're back for another inspirational and uh, illuminating episode of Inspiration Point. How are you doing? I am doing quite well. I'm finally having a couple of days to relax after uh, a whirlwind trip to Houston for work and then having a house guest. So I'm finally being able to just like chill for a little while. It was all good stuff. But now I'm like, okay, I'm, I'm going to just relax for a little bit. That's fantastic. Um, so how was Texas overall? I mean, it was Texas. It, it, it was Houston. Um, it was hot. It was muggy. Uh, I got to see my uncle and aunt. They live there. That was pretty cool. Um, I was running. A, I was running a teleprompter for a conference that was going on down there, which was not the direction I ever saw my career going. But I'm not mad. Yeah, I, I, I was listening to you kind of talk about it a little bit last night on uh, it, during our session. Or like right before our session started, yeah. And uh, you, you told me that there is a a teleprompter culture existing in this profession. I did not know that that there was this ecosystem or this subculture that existed. Honestly, I didn't entirely know it either. But once you spend time in the production world, you get to know a little bit more of like the stereotypes, I guess, of each of the like different positions. Like it's always holding for audio. Because, you know, audio, I agree, audio is one of the most important parts. If it sounds bad, it's going to, it's, it's like, beautiful visuals will not save it. True, true. Um, and apparently, the way, among teleprompt operators, uh, there's a kind of arrogance that I didn't know about, and I'm really glad I didn't. Which I can kind of see, right? Because it is a dance between you and the person who is presenting. And yes. it's, it, it is just it is just the two or three of you. No one else really matters. You got to focus in on those words. And if you screw up, they screw up. So there's a tremendous amount of power, I guess. I guess that's why some people get real arrogant about it. To me, it's a lot of pressure and a lot of stress. Oh, yeah, that does seem quite stressful. So I, I suppose if I was an evil teleprompter operator and you had angered me for some reason as the presenter, I could pause it and watch you... Uh, flounder for a while uh, while laughing at your misfortune. Oh, no, you can be much more subtle than that. You can slowly speed up the prompter. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. No, I have thought about this with some of the presenters that have frustrated me where it's like, I control your words, but then also, like, if they sound bad, I look bad. So, you know, I, I, I always try to make everyone sound and look as good as they can in my limited capacity. But, you know, there's only so much I could do with some stuff. No, absolutely. So that could be a thing like, all right, chief, here's how it's going to go down. Every time you say the word fluctuate, because that's what you're talking about, <laughs> I'm going to speed this up 1%. <laughs> and let's see how fast you can be going by the end of it. Just like speed run through this script. It's like Shrek, but every time they say. <laughs> God, I love those memes. <laughs> those are funny. <laughs> those are pretty great. Uh, but yeah, so that has been a lot of what my life has been. I'm going to be traveling again uh, in November. This time I'm going to Atlanta, which will be kind of cool. Oh, yeah, do some. Uh... Gambling? Is that what they do over there? I don't know. <laughs> I genuinely have no idea. Um, I, I mean, I was in Las Vegas overnight and did, no, and did no gambling at all. I went and saw a show. I'm thinking of Atlantic City, aren't I? You probably yeah, are. Yeah, that's... I don't know anything about Atlanta. <laughs> I don't know. I'm sorry to all of our many, many Atlanta listeners. 
Our deepest apologies. We we shall serve uh, penance now. Yeah, so we'll cheer for, you know, whatever offensive team name you have now. The Braves, is it still? Oh, gosh. Uh, <laughs> they still do that, like in the stands, do the chopping motion I, while singing? I probably, but man. I don't know. Maybe that's not a team anymore. All right. Well, instead of apologizing, I just doubled down on my alienation of people. <laughs> I... <laughs> <laughs> you know, like you do. It's like a fine. teleprompter operator. operator. Oh <laughs> man, I'm getting it now, man. I'm un, I'm I'm getting the vibe. Mm. This I'm drunk on the power I don't have yet. Well, that sounds like a, a really good time. How Texasy is Houston? Houston is pretty Texasy, although that might be because I was downtown, so I was right in like the heart of the conference area, but like you know, in the in the midst of the conference, they were all like, "Howdy, y'all!" and the the set was decorated with like stars and horses and stuff. And uh, there was a Chick Fil A stand inside the convention center, one of like three <laughs> places that were selling food to the convention goers. Oh my gosh! Mm-hmm. Um, there was a steakhouse right next to the uh, the convention center, Saltgrass, which apparently is like a big Texas thing that everyone who's left Texas is like, oh my gosh, enjoy a steak for me, which I understand that was actually the best steak I've ever had. Oh, wow. It was okay, very so good. You were like, okay, I'm kind of getting it. <laughs> I, I understand this now. Do they give you a free belt buckle uh, every time you finish a steak? Oh, uh, that would be cool. No, but the drinks were huge. So Were they? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah, I hear everything is, uh, uh, bigger over there. As a, as a born and raised Alaskan, I have to scoff at that, mostly because... Oh, is that right? Oh, there's, there's a very gentle rivalry between the two states. I didn't know that. I didn't know that. Well, because Texas likes to style itself as, you know, the largest. However, if you cut Alaska in half, Texas would be the third largest state. Oh my goodness, Alaska wow. is enormous. It is two-thirds the size of the continental United States. Yeah. It is. It's a. It's a big one. It's huge, but less than a million people live there, so you know it doesn't really register. But yeah, biggest state, biggest mountain. You know, north to the future. When are they going to have a three fifths compromise for bears? You know, or moose? You know, is that? <laughs> can we get some more electoral votes for Alaska if we do that? Oh man! If the bears can prove that they're at least as intelligent as Sarah Palin, will that? Would that function? Would that do it? You know what's even funnier about that? What's that? Sarah Palin was on uh, the the Masked Singer. You know what her costume was? Was it a bear? It was, it was a Mama Bear. bear it was right? Mama Bear. Yeah. Mama Bear. Yeah. Oh, that made her so popular. That was really good. And, and to her credit, just because again, I'm not supposed to make this a very political show, but uh, so I'll say a nice thing. Uh, one of the things that that the people really loved and, and uh, that resonated with them about her was how she she stood by the idea of having a child who was uh, who had Down syndrome and fully uh, loving them and accepting them for who they are. I th I, I feel like if uh, you know I I feel like that's a pretty safe stance to take on most things, love and acceptance. You know, you you would think that, uh, and I will just leave that comment sitting right there where it belongs, uh, so that we don't get too political. Because uh, true, I true. have opinions. You have opinions. All right. <laughs> well, you know, when it comes to Miss Palin, there are many uh, to go around, and most of them are obvious. <laughs> so, uh, for further research, see Katie Couric. Um, <sighs> oh gosh, yeah. Uh, anyway, um, yeah. So here's here's rooting for Alaskan rights, and uh, but not the kind that her husband was involved in. Okay, I I did it again. Uh, all <laughs> just right. like nosedive so, straight into just, that one. <laughs> <laughs> I can't stop. What is wrong with me today? It's it's uh, it's a Saturday. Uh, it's not our usual recording day. And full disclosure to the audience, this is the first time that Adam and I have like seen each other while we're recording because we're on Zoom for once instead of on Discord. And it's actually really funny because like we make faces at each other, so <laughs> it's actually a lot harder to keep to keep a, a professional. Yeah, no, I I I think that that's clearly the case. <laughs> I think I'm having, having a tough time. Uh, so anyway, last night we uh, played some Dungeons and Dragons. Woot! Um, New game. Yeah, 
For any of you that haven't heard of this game, no, I'm just kidding. Um, <laughs> Which, Dungeons and Dragons or Westgate? N- yeah, Dungeons and Dragons. Um, yeah, so there's this once upon a time, a ni- guy named Gary Gygax had a terrible name for a game, and then his wife said, just call it Dungeons and Dragons. Proving once again that, that, that the women behind <laughs> the men who make all of the, the, the splashes are the ones who actually make things work. See also Lucas George. I can't tell you how many times I've like just sat in bed with my wife and then she just to be polite she's like tell me about your game and i and then i'm like okay i know you don't care so i i gave her the the broad strokes and then i'm like so here's what i'm kind of thinking and then she'll say well uh what if you did this and then i'm like you sure you don't want to play like you don't want to be like just part of this like that was pretty good you know she's like nah nah nah, i'm too busy I'm like, okay, well, you don't mind if I steal that, do you? <laughs> so, you know, uh, steal, steal from other brains. Uh, I, I know that Ezra Denny on Q and C consults with his wife very frequently. Like they go on daily walks, and he'll talk through what he's thinking about doing to the the poor investigators uh, in his clutches, and she'll she'll offer suggestions and thoughts, and uh, usually it's much more interesting than what he had in mind. Yeah, it's. I think it's like when you're just like in the thick of it all the time, it's easy to get kind of like stale. Yeah. And to kind of repeat yourself. And it's nice to get that fresh perspective that's just like, what about this? And you're like, well, that would uh, unfortunately uh, be really uh, interesting and cool. And that would be off brand for me. <laughs> so. And then you would have to sustain that. <laughs> you're right. Yeah. They're like, wow. <laughs> Especially if the players are like, whoa, that's awesome. And then you're like, it's not that great. I mean, <laughs> Come on, guys, give me some credit here. Whoa, what about the other thing? Yeah, like, oh, that was all right. <laughs> that, was, that was passable, serviceable. Oh, right through the heart. Oh, man, it happens. It happens. Uh, but no, we're, I, I'm very grateful for the her insights. Now, my children's insights, on the other hand, they're, you know, uh, they tend to be less gracious about it. And when they don't like a thing, boy, do they let you know they don't, <laughs> they don't like a thing. Ah, the straightforwardness of children. Yes, from the mouth of babes and right into your heart. <laughs> like a steak. Yeah, you know, sometimes right into your heart where you go, oh, that was sweet. That completely yes. unprompted. They came up to you and were like, daddy, I love you. Yes. Yeah, that happens too. And then I go, uh, what do you want? <laughs> like, where is this going? Daddy, can I have the TV for four hours? Uh, okay, well, I knew it. That's where that was going. Uh-huh. Um, anyway, so we played a, a, a game last night. Uh, started a brand new uh, campaign for the patrons of this fine show. The campaign is named Westgate. Named, of course, for the city of Westgate in the Forgotten Realms universe. Somewhat more of a forgotten part of the Forgotten Realms. Well, yeah. Not entirely. It's not on the Sword Coast. Of course it's forgotten. It's not on the Sword Coast. It's on the Dragon Coast. So he still didn't get rid of a coast. Well. But, uh, you know, the Dragon Coast uh, feeds right into the Sea of Falling Stars. Which is such a cool name for a sea. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Like, you could almost name, like, a lot of seas that, and they'd be like, yeah, I get it. It makes sense. Mm-hmm. By the way, going back to Alaska really quick, do you, do you get to see, like, lights and stuff? Oh, the northern lights are something that I tremendously miss being down here. It used to be that you'd see them not every night, but very, very frequently. Oh, my gosh. I mean, I've seen, like, of course, video and stuff, but I've never seen it in real life. I bet it's magical. It is unearthly. When I... <laughs> When I was very young, well, not very young, I was a preteen, I think, we were coming home from church one night because we had Saturday night church, and we yeah. came around the corner, and it was one of the best light shows I've ever seen. It was, And it was so close that it felt like it was right on top of the trees. And uh, I was convinced, because this was how I was raised, I was convinced that we were going to be raptured. Oh, my God. <laughs> <laughs> I was absolutely convinced that this was the beginning of the end. Well... Bad news. I know. Uh, <laughs> the rapture did happen. Oh. You guys didn't make it. 
well, you know, depending on whose beliefs you go by, maybe it's only 144,000 people, which in this in, in this economy, who would notice missing? You know, I've, uh, you know, I'm not going to go there, actually. <laughs> I was about to mention some of the doomsaying prophecies that happened. There was a new one recently. Oh, fun. You know, and it's like, can you prove that it didn't happen? Mm. It's like, love, love proving negatives. Really fun. I, I think that's actually a, a, a logical fallacy that you can't prove a negative. Yes, correct. Correct. But yes, the Northern, the Northern Lights are absolutely incredible, and I miss them. And I can also see why, like the North Sea, could be called, or the Bering, the Bering uh, Strait in that area, could be called like the Sea of Falling Stars very easily. Oh yes. Oh man. Then, then you're definitely going to get some more electoral votes if you call it that. You know, I think that's really going to. I I I think at this point that we just need to to combat the 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 the. Uh, bad Ele- electoral college well that too but also uh, <laughs> the the bad reputation from uh the bridge to nowhere ah yes well that is true <laughs> that that is something you gotta compete with uh which you know you need more tourism i think uh i think that's where the direction i would take it in of course all the locals would hate that idea uh, but money. Uh, the tourism industry is already really strong up there. I worked. I worked in the tourism industry when I was, you know, a young adult up there. Uh, yeah. And then the the running joke, lovingly, was uh, why do we call it tourist season if we can't hunt them? <laughs> <laughs> oh man, uh, that's cool. They'd be like, oh, I got shot. It's so authentic. <laughs> <laughs> Fair enough. Uh, there were definitely times where I where I considered uh, because I would get asked questions. I legitimately people would ask things like, "When do the penguins come out? When, when do you turn on the northern lights? And, oh god! And do you take American money?" <laughs> I can't. Really? Dead serious. Because I, I I worked as a, a courtesy van driver for one of the hotels that was exclusively for like tourists. So we had like a lot of tourist buses come through, but there were also some people who came in through the airport and the train station. And my job was to go and pick them up. Yeah. And yeah, they yeah. would ask a bunch of questions, especially when they found out that I'd actually been born there. So like, you know, I had a, a different insight than a lot of people who live up there. And dead serious. Those were the sorts of questions I would sometimes get. Oh, my goodness. You know, even as a teacher, I hear a lot of dumb questions, like some seriously, seriously dumb questions. But at least I can always say, well, this is a teenager. But I don't know if I've ever heard a question that stupid. Whenever whenever I hear people say there's no such thing as stupid questions, I just go. (laughs) There are some. (laughs) There are some. My least favorite stupid question is uh, when I have uh, the same player for several sessions and then they go how do i make an attack roll <laughs> Ooh, uh, i just i just die inside um so anyway <laughs> what's left of your soul curls up and rolls over just gone just done so anyway uh so uh, last night's game i did a, a terrible thing as a gm and uh, you're one of my players, and I kept you out of most of the session. And I apologize for that. Um, sometimes, okay, here's the tough thing. When you're d- introducing characters, there's a couple of ways you can do it, right? You can either A, stick them all in one place, and then start the game, right? And I think that in terms of a game and sharing time, that is definitely the best way to do it. Okay, whether that be a boat or a road encounter or uh, what we often get a tavern, right? Uh, Jail. That's a a fun one. That's a fun one. There's a lot of tropes like that. Uh, Then everybody's just playing at the same time. I opted for the more um, dramatic uh, sort of story driven way of doing it, which is we introduce one or two at a time and we go from scene to scene to scene to scene. Now, I had it set up where I was thinking, well, these two characters kind of know each other, right? And Hakoi is on the way between where uh, Lumet, our dragonborn paladin, is 
and their destination. I was actually very surprised that she didn't stop off to grab Hakoi on the way over to investigate a thing that might need muscle behind it. I was very surprised that she chose to go find Fig instead. I I was surprised. And so I was like, okay, first curveball of the game. <laughs> and it was an early one. I mean, that was like 10, 10 minutes into the game. And so I, then I have another couple of options. Do I prompt this player to to stop and pick this other person up if i do that then this person gets to play when i want them to but on the other hand i sacrifice some degree of player agency Mm -hmm. i basically tell them you have chosen incorrectly unless i'm very slick about it uh which i wasn't feeling terribly slick last night because i was still building everything and so I felt like I was on a bit of the seat of my pants. Not to say that the session went bad. I All thought right. it went. It went great. I thought it was a good session, uh, but I definitely would have loved a couple more days uh, somehow, like to to get ready. But having said that, I think I was just overthinking a lot of things too, um, which is one of my weaknesses as a, as a GM. But I will say, uh, this, this, so anyway, this player uh, skips you and goes to the docks to go do the thing. And we start introducing the other characters. Everything else goes according to plan, pretty much. Like, okay, you're going to do this, and then you're going to meet this person, and this is the circumstance, and this is great. And now they're all connected. Boom. Except one. Uh, okay. All right. Now we... Got to give a really good reason to go see this person. And I thought, okay, here's, and this I did have planned beforehand. I thought, if all else fails, they're going to get this cool weapon fragment, and then they're going to take it to the smith. And then they got the weapon fragment, and then they hung out for a while. (laughs) They were doing some character work. They were building connections between characters because most of them hadn't met before and they had just gone through a combat together and, you know, they were finding out about uh, cooking, being able to restore souls to bodies somehow, if only temporarily. So there, there was a lot going on there. I... I mean, I, I know that I know that you feel bad about it. Genuinely, it made so much more sense after that first curveball to yes. have it go the way that it did. It did make sense, but it do, does come at a cost. And so sometimes you just have to make those choices as a GM. And by the way, this is by no means is me going, then the players did the wrong thing. It's like, no, then the players did something I didn't expect. Sure. Or I hoped wouldn't happen. And then they did it, and we were productive in other ways, and it was great. Um, but I always look to myself for for ways to improve. And so, in some ways, the first session is the toughest. Oh, that's very comes, true. When it comes to getting everybody together, right? When we want to get everyone together. Now, here was the best part, okay? My favorite part of the session. Again, not that anyone did anything wrong. I was very pleased all around. Um, when we when we finally got to you, it was like the exposition that was needed for the plot did not come from me. It did not come from an NPC. Instead, it came from player knowledge, or I should say character knowledge. There was stuff Hakoi knew that you knew, and so first of all, thank you for doing your research, and... Then you deliver that information, and I was thrilled to bits. I didn't have to say anything. I didn't have to contrive anything. I was just like, and here's Hakoi. Now, uh, eh. (laughs) (laughs) Here's Hakoi. Hakoi, we have a piece of a cool sword, and and Hakoi's over here like, do you know what you just brought me? You just brought me everything (laughs) I could have ever wanted. (laughs) Here, in my hands. This is a piece of a god sword. I like how for like a second there, a couple of you sort of fought over the idea of having it. And then you all fought over making sure the other person had it. <laughs> uh, we went from uh, from fighting over a sword to a, to a Canadian standoff. Um, well, the, and, the, the, the biggest thing for, for Hakoi is that they, uh, they have Weapon Master because, fun fact... Forge domain clerics don't get weapon don't get martial weapons proficiency, which mer I think is silly. 
but I did take the the modified version of the Weapon Master feat that that you created, and uh, the weapons that I took were long sword and glaive. This piece, of, this this shard of the sword is currently in the shape of a rapier, which I can't use. Right. So right. correct. We we basically had two choices. You said that it could be reforged and possibly done into a different bladed weapon, and I was like, okay, I could reforge this into a long sword or the head of a glaive. I could. Yes. Um, yep. Or I can leave it as it is and give it to our our paladin. Right. Or the rogue who uses a rapier. Right. Also um, fair. There are there are a couple of good options there. Um, just so like everybody's kind of can keep up with us a little bit, and maybe they would find it interesting. Are are do you want to describe uh, the party? And like who everybody was. <laughs> if you don't remember something, I'll try to fill in. But sure. L- let's see. Let's see if you remember from your perspective. All right. Let me let me pull up my. I am doing much better in the in this game. I'm keeping notes. Good on you. You get an A. Well, and that's part of why I remembered the things that I did and the details that I had gotten, where it was like of about the sword. All right. So we have a a dwarf. She, she's a rogue, right? Riddle. Yes. Yeah, she's a rogue. A dwarf rogue named Riddle Henrietta Mirinella Dolores von Edenspire. <laughs> yes, I copied the whole thing into my notes. <laughs> so guess which background was chosen. <laughs> <laughs> Wild guess on that one. I, 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 I will I will like tangent a bit and say I love it when rogues come from backgrounds that are that have money. I think that's fun. That's it's really interesting, yeah. Because I've um, I've played like that it. character where it's like the rich kid who 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 wants to go and play vigilante down in the down in the docks, but then can take all of that off and go do what they want. <laughs> correct, correct. And I love that this is going to give you guys some degree of resources to use, uh, and maybe even a safe house to yeah, work in, which will be so really nice. Uh, and then we have a Lumet. I can't, I can't pronounce her last name, but that is our Dragonborn Paladin. Yes. We'll, we'll go with Lumet. That's easy. Yeah. Uh, Landry is our lizard folk barbarian. Now, okay. I got to step in on Landry a little bit here. Uh, this is played by our, our dear friend, Leroy. Our Bayou Barbarian. Our Bayou Barbarian. So on an earlier episode, many moons ago, of Inspiration Point, Andrew and I... Uh, we're doing some random roles and riffing and creating a fantasy environment. I, I think we're using maybe d- Dangerous Destinations or something. That sounds right. And then uh, we came up with this concept of the Bayou Barbarians that all like wore like frog skins on their heads, you know. And um, the idea was they would they would attack you if you ever stepped in the water, basically. And I was doing like a Bayou accent for everything and. Uh, we were just having a fun time, just goofing around and laughing about this ridiculous idea. Well, I- anyway, a lot of our listeners ended up going, I like this idea. This is really funny. Um, and it, it has become kind of an inside joke for, for us, kind of like a meme within the Inspiration Point community. And uh, so Leroy essentially decided to play as a Bayou Barbarian in this game and uh, so his specifically, yeah, he's a lizard folk barbarian, but he's um, he is uh, one of the most kind and gentle souls of the party, right? Landry, uh, he his image for his character is Leatherhead from uh, from Ninja Turtles, right? So he's just big gator man, uh-huh. uh huh, with Bayou accent, and the idea is he makes uh, you know Creole food like gumbo and. Uh, uh, what what he was uh, atouffee? Is that what atouffee, it was? Atouffee, I think. Atouffee, and it's the it's the it's the twisted up French word. That's how that's a little hard for me to remember. And one of the big plot points of this story is that people uh, who are being brought back from the dead are uh, not bringing their souls with them, and so they're they're these sort of husk of people. They're not zombies, uh, but they lack desire and, and motivation. And then you have this guy bringing in soul food. I, I, I think I think I said that in the chat or in the in the Discord where I was like, oh my god, it's literally soul food. It's literally soul food. It, he doesn't know why it's magical or anything, but there is a good reason for all of this. It is, shall all become clear, as it usually does. 
That's what it usually does. But anyway, I'm very excited about that. And not and not to gloss over Lumet uh, too much. Uh, Lumet is going to have a huge role to play in the the overall plot, which has to do with the heresy of the threefold god. But I do not want to say too much more about it because it's all spoiler, spoiler, spoiler. Oh yeah, so so many spoilers on that one. Um, yes. And then up next is Arrow, who is our uh, our Aarakocra monk, which is a, uh, a a style that I very much love. Yes, and I uh, absolutely love what Pro is doing with with him. Yes, um, and do you feel at all complimented that uh, a, a fellow player has chosen an Aarakocra after you have played a very dominant Aarakocra build? Oh, absolutely! Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like. I'm not saying he copied you, but I am saying no. He didn't, you know, he, he didn't copy me. I I was a yeah. ranger rogue build, and he's playing a monk. True, true. So at least he has to close the gap sometimes, <laughs> which I appreciate from my side of the table. Well, and it's especially because we're playing with the new isometric maps, and it's just a little bit. It's a little bit different. Yeah, it is a little bit different, and uh, there was definitely some weirdness, a little bit of awkwardness with it, as was expected. Sure. Uh, and that ended up being where a lot of my prep time went. Like, I, I was pretty responsible last week, and I put in quite a lot of time uh, making sure that we were ready and, and that we were building everything and figuring out how to get isometric to work properly on, on Roll20 and and how it would sort of coincide with human brain that needs to understand depth and things. And I wouldn't even say I nailed it, but I would say that it came out okay and that it took a while to get there. And then of course there was all the token making. Uh, I mean, that, that, that's what really took Cause that took about 45 minutes at the top of the session, 45, 45 minutes ish, which, yeah. you know, that was just the way that it was. Yeah. It was part setting up tokens and part, you know, screwing around as we all do at the start of any given game right well while while everyone else was was talking about super serious stuff i was chasing pro's character around the 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 sheet with my token it was fun it was really silly like you guys were just like zooming around and i was just like oh who said i think it was tanya who said oh they have the zoomies like let them get it out you know <laughs> pretty like, much oh, that would have been all e my players are cats that would have been even better if i if this was the game where i was playing a tabaxi because he's playing aracocra if i'd been playing a tax oh. chasing the bird around hey man you want to do a rework real quick <laughs> there's only been one session i'm down uh but yeah no it, it did feel that way it was so cute it was a lot of fun um and then uh, Tanya is playing Fig, uh, who I believe is a human. Yes. Uh, by the way, it was weird for me to say Fig over and over again uh, during the session. And uh, I'll tell you why. Because um, my mother's, uh, she comes from the Newton family. And, oh. <laughs> and I don't think it, it's not the same Newton family. Still. But, but that was her name. And so... My dad's pet name for her is Fig, right? He's always calling her Fig. That's so and, cute. And so I have heard that as a pet nickname my entire life, right? And then to uh, like turning around, calling uh, her Fig made me feel like, like, like I'm pet naming her. And I'm like, okay, it's, it's this is a different person. This is a different character. Different circumstances. Different circumstances. I, that, that explains why you were calling her by the full name Anafeg uh, uh, fairly yeah. frequently. Actually, that makes a lot of sense now. Yes, yes. Well, that is the reason I was doing that. <laughs> so that was a little weird. But um, but it was a good character. In uh, the night before, uh, Tanya and I had spent quite a while talking about um, her character, she's a warlock. Thank you. I was trying to remember what her class was. Yes. Yeah, That's right. So she's a celestial warlock, right? She's a celestial warlock. And so we spent a lot of time talking about her patron and figuring out what her, her patron was and what their motivations might be. And so it, she presents very much as a dedicated healer support character, but is a warlock. Mm -hmm. And I like really clever 
and creative builds that kind of take a class and then turn it on its head. Mm -hmm. Like, yeah, Celestial Warlock is official, obviously. Yes. But the idea is still that you're... You're a you warlock know, still. You're still firing off Eldritch Blasts all the time. And so far, it did not feel that way. And that was kind of cool. I like doing weird stuff with classes. Yeah, no, I completely agree. Um, yeah. And, and, and I think that that's been a lot of fun with this particular group. Because, like, most of us have played together. And all of I think all of us have played together in one configuration or another. At least I've played with everyone. Um. And it's really interesting seeing how different some of the builds are, because, like, Fig is very different than Jackson. Oh, very different. Very different. And Anna Fig is... Oh, see, I did it again. Uh, she is, uh, like, a very easy character to get into situations, because their their main, I would say, personality trait is friendly and wants to help. Mm -hmm. Right? And so that's super easy to work with <laughs> you know that's great uh and on the other side is my character where i'm oh. actually playing a little <laughs> bit different of a it was really funny because I, I was talking uh to alondra about it last night after we were done i was like this is a very different cleric than anything i've played before much more like gruff and to the point and being like i don't play this is gonna be hard for me i don't play low charisma characters hakoi has, yes. has a charisma of 11 Yes, yes, so which for is... you is a low number. <laughs> <laughs> it's a challenge because I tend to like to talk my way out of things. And as you saw with, with Flair, when, I, when, my, when my mouth writes checks that my ass can't, uh, can't cash, <laughs> uh, <laughs> in this case, that being my character sheet, can't cash. Correct, correct. <laughs> um, things can get kind of interesting. Yeah, it's fun. It is. Uh, but I'm playing uh, uh, Hakoi Kasubo, who is a, a Forge Domain cleric, variant human. And uh, yeah, very much, very much that like metal doesn't talk back. Why do I have to deal with people? Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> and uh, I, I made one NPC for that scene who was the high priestess, but she doesn't really feel like a high priestess. She's literally just working an anvil mm -hmm. outside the temple. It is like, what do you want? <laughs> like when they come by. And so I thought, okay, the, the temple of Gond, people aren't going to be all that like sanctimonious. Yeah. Right? I mean, they're more than happy to help, but they're, they'll, they're, they're definitely all of the, uh, you're bothering me. What do you want? <laughs> right. Exactly. <laughs> until, like, until they're like, oh no, there's an actual need. You're not just bothering me. The church of introversion. Um, you know, is, is a way to put it like you, you didn't walk into a temple. You walked into Ace Hardware, Basically. you know, <laughs> <laughs> run, ent run entirely by lesbians and non-binary. <laughs> True. <laughs> because uh, uh, Hakoi is is non-binary because I wanted to play a bit more with that. Uh, they're. What I said to Chris when we were talking like character art, I was like kind of like the 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 vibe and the build of Gwendolyn Christie as uh, mm -hmm. uh, Brienne Bri yeah. of Tarth. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it's fun. I'm I'm enjoying it so far, and I enjoyed being able because uh, part of our session zero that that we did that I I think I'm going to be doing little inserts into as I'm editing that episode because I haven't finished it yet. Uh, but one of the things that we did was the murder board, the red stringing, where right, right, right. Uh, you laid out all of the like big themes for what was going on, and it's like uh, people people who are soulless, the three the, the threefold god heresy. Um, there's a vigilante running around that I guess we they I guess they met yesterday. Um, yes. And then we all started drawing connections between what we found, what our characters found the most interesting or would know the most about. And though the between us and those subjects, and then a few between us and other people. So I think that worked really well. I it definitely like gave me the okay. Here's the broad strokes, and here's what my character is the most interested in. Um, and from that, you had told me, and I'll, I'll actually read directly from my notes. Uh, what I know coming in: Helm and Tyr are dead, and their aspects were rolled into Torm. This is considered a heresy. Threefold God, I have a theory. Legendary sword that belonged to Helm, Vindicator, may have fallen into the hands of a mortal and been divided into three pieces. Powerful weapon for capital G, good. Yes. Yes. And even just those, like, sort of broad stroke notes were plenty for you to go off of. Uh, did you, 
further research that? No, or I pulled no. pull just directly from it from the notes and then going off of what Hakoi thinks about it. That's wow. I've thought for sure you at least read the wiki. Nope. Uh, based on how you talked about it. So I'm even more impressed. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> That's great. So, yeah, again, I really like that. And, and the main theme I wanted to kind of get to was like just giving players information because I have definitely fallen into the trap of I'm so afraid of spoilers and of seeming predictable that I want to keep everything like as a card close to my chest. Mm -hmm. And then on occasion, there's an NPC that gives an expo dump. And, you know, my my original philosophy regarding that was avoid the exp exposition dump entirely and just do the Dark Souls thing mm. where you just give little bits and you refuse to give more information than that. But the, then the weakness I would run into with that was like, Okay, then I would have a zillion freaking characters yeah. for everyone to talk to. And then they would get their little bits from everybody. But now we're doing the same thing just with more steps, right? Which isn't so good. Last night, the insight I really got was let's have players give each other exposition as much as we can. Yeah. And, that, and let's empower them with that information. And that, and that is an approach that I really like. I've talked about before on the show when I was on Roll For It as a, as a guest, and I had been talking in depth to their GM about what was going on and what that version of Keladry knew coming in. Um, yeah. And I had I demonstrated so much interest in what was going on in the lore and the story of it that the GM, EE, uh, e., was like, you know, I was going to have an NPC do the exposition info dump, why don't you go ahead and do it? Here's like three paragraphs of the things that you know. Um, disclose whatever you find, disclose whatever you feel they need to know and uh, do it in whatever order you see fit. And I think it worked really well. I, I was like high anxiety the whole time because I was like, oh my gosh, you know, I'm a guest on this show. What if I screw this up and whatever? Right. But also like they were then able to ask questions and flesh out, you know, what do I know? What do they need to know? The, the kinds of questions that they asked told me a lot about what was going on because I hadn't watched the show to that point. So I didn't know what was going on. Right. Yeah. Um, so the kinds of questions that they asked told me a lot about what was going on and what they found the most interesting. And uh, it gave it gave me a much more immediate connection into what was going on and gave them a much more immediate connection to me because it wasn't, here's the exposition dump and here's this basically NPC who's being played by a person who's going to go along with you to help you uh, not die in the Shadowfell. Yeah, and I, and I think that was probably more satisfying for you more satisfying for them mm -hmm. and, and and speaking from my own perspective more satisfying for the gm because then i feel very clever right and i didn't have to make yet another npc <laughs> that that explains things right like because here's what would typically happen right you would they would go to the temple of gond then my my half my half orc npc ovak would be like uh, you, this is what the sword is, and this is what it do, and you have to go get the pieces. Uh, bring my apprentice with you. Here she is, or here they are, sorry. Here are. All right, and then I, and then, uh, they, then we do it. Instead, we just, we just cut that out. Mm-hmm. Right, and we just cut that out, and we just say, okay, let's combine the two things. And, uh, and that just works so much more elegantly. And then as more information needs to be resurfaced, you can always just talk about those things. Mm -hmm. So then that gets into like an even bigger discussion about like, let's say knowledge checks. So I think when they do one D&D &D eventually, I think what they ought to do is roll the knowledge check just like, or the skill, if you're going to have it be a skill right into the background. Now, I know a lot of backgrounds have knowledge, mm -hmm. but the thing is, is like, let's face it, the knowledge skill is not equal to the other skill. Nowhere right? close. Nowhere close. Religion is never going to beat athletics or persuasion or stealth, right? Like, it's it, it cannot hold up. So 
Why are we having clerics that don't know anything about religion? Why are we having rangers that don't take nature because they can't fit it? Right. That should just be obvious. So either in the background or like as part of the class, as just part of the class, it's like you gain nature plus two of the following options or whatever. Uh, Call of Cthulhu actually does something very similar in which I've been thinking about because I've been building my character for Call of Cthulhu starting tonight, which I'm very excited about. Um, and they actually have in there in like the different professions. These are your um, your profession skills. These are the things that you can take your education times four points. And these are the only things that you can spend them on. I love that. Yeah, I love that. Because if it becomes a contest between putting those points there or in combat efficacy. Right. You know, you you're going to want to survive before you can know a thing. Right. Yeah. And, and it's and you want to be a useful member of your party. And so what ends up happening is that a bunch of players don't take knowledge. And then so the, the GM just goes, well, now everyone else has to provide knowledge yeah. to them. Right. And then you have players that don't know anything about the world. Right. And it's you can see how it creates this like ecosystem that doesn't work very well. Yeah. Uh, so I love that kind of idea. I want to say Trudvang had to an extent something kind of similar, maybe not that specific, but I do like having different kinds of points in systems that can serve different purposes. So at the very least, if we were to take fifth edition, I would just say, yeah, like give the druid nature, obviously. Yeah. Give the druid and, and ranger nature, give the, give the, the, the cleric and the paladin religion, you know, 100%. because I mean, it has been, it has been a standing joke that I play clerics that don't have religious knowledge. Uh, I deliberately went against that this time because Hakoi does have religious knowledge, but yes, uh, that was a deliberate choice. And I think that I think the part of the problem is that in fifth edition, unless you are an artificer or a wizard, intelligence is always the dump stat. I was about to say that too. Yeah, that's so true because it's it's not that, helpful for most things. It's not helpful for most things, and like, it, thank goodness for investigation because mm. that's like the one exception. Yeah. Right. Like investigation's pretty good. But if you have a high perception, you can probably get away with a lot. I have. I get away with with it by generally having a high wisdom score and taking perception as a, a proficiency every time that I can. Yeah, and and then there's also insight. Mm -hmm. So you can almost always make an argument of like can this at least give me an impression of something? Right. You know, and and so it really gets overshadowed. So yeah, I'm really hoping in the next version of D&D they, they give intelligence a little bit more love. So it makes sense. Like, like okay, if you look at the rogue class, like the rogue class especially should be like, okay, obviously I'm taking dexterity. But then like, like charisma, wisdom, or intelligence should be the like kind of how I customize. Yeah. Right? But it's like this is a problem right now because intelligence is just worse. Than the other two. Yeah, un unless you are like a mastermind rogue or something like that. And let's be realistic, no one chooses that. Yeah, uh, I chose it for Curse of Strahd, and I immediately <laughs> regretted it. Sure. It's, it's a very specific archetype that I appreciate, but I think that yeah. I think that one of the problems with rogues is that their archetypes are very specific. Like, they have to go into certain kinds of games. And yes. then there's then there's things like Swashbuckler that just goes everywhere. Yeah, Swashbuckler and Arcane Trickster are like clearly like the S tier picks. Yeah. Right. That just kind of dwarf everything else. And yeah, there are, you know, you can come up with the build or whatever, but it's like, come on. Mm -hmm. These these two are so much better. Even Assassin, you know, Assassin gets this really cool feature at third level. But then, what is it, the sixth or ninth level? I can't remember. They get identity theft. Yeah. And it's just like, what? No, me want kill good. <laughs> <laughs> and you can make the argument that, like, identity theft would get them into the place to kill good, but also you could do that with a good stealth roll. That's also so, like, campaign specific. Exactly. Like, in a campaign like this, that might actually be pretty good. But, like, if we're doing... You know, Lost Minds. <laughs> What's that going to, you know, well, of course, Lost Minds isn't going to get high enough for that to matter, but. 
But Fandelver and below, I would discourage uh, a player from taking that because it's like the, the third level ability is so situation specific because you have to, I, I believe you have to go to a certain order in the initiative order in order well, for that to you work. have to have surprise. You have to have surprise, which is a tough thing yeah. to ensure without like pass without trace, right? Yeah. Which if you're an assassin, you're not going to get. Right. And, and if you don't have a <laughs> druid or someone with the staff of the woodlands. A ranger. Yeah, it's just not, yeah. it's just not going to happen. Um, so it's very even even a even the good uh, ability is very situational and very specific in ways that you know any domain of cleric that you care to name, even the ones that I consider to be like lower tier, even those are significantly better than most of the rogue uh, subclasses. Yeah, I would I would agree with that. Now, part of the reason for that is that they really tried to put a lot of like strong features on base rogue and so they didn't put it on subclass but i uh i'm not sure that worked out quite that well yeah um but anyway our our main topic is about player knowledge right we've we've been not, we've been all over the place today like instead of theory crafting but um I think main takeaway here being let's make uh intelligence great again yes oh my gosh <laughs> You know, and let's make um, I think this this is just one way of doing it is just saying you have a good chance to know what you know. Also, you know, I've heard a lot of people say this. I think Andrew has said this before. If it makes sense that you know it, you know it. Right. And there's a lot of time. There's just no check required. Yeah. OK, you're a ranger. Can I eat that berry? Yes, I can. You know, you can't. Right. Like. No, roll for it. Sorry, the ranger's stupid and doesn't know basic survival skills. Yeah. Like, even that was a survival check. You know, I, I couldn't even come up with the right example. Well, it's, survival also gets rid of intelligence. <laughs> it's true, but I mean, there there are there are strong arguments for, as you say, you know, you know what you know. So, like Hakoi being, you know, older, they're. Think I I think I made them my age, so they're they're in their mid to late thirties. Uh, I'd have to look again, but I didn't I did not do the young buck adventurer with with a koi. They've yes. been around. They're a second level uh, forge domain cleric, and they've been a, they've been working the forge since they were very young, and they're a forge domain cleric. There are reasons why they would know about things like, hey, a god sword went missing. <laughs> that's a big deal that's kind of a big deal and all the forge clerics i imagine are like man what i wouldn't do to get my hands on that and put that back together that would like that would be the project like not even not even like name go down in history nonsense or anything just like i can get my hands on this thing the joy of the work yeah right exactly itself, the craft um no 100 uh, percent. yeah um I think that one thing, again, that we worry about sometimes as GMs is, am I giving away too much information? Sure. So now, now my story has no mystery. But here's the thing. All right. And this is what I'm, I'm starting to, like, formulate in my brain and, and to understand. And, and yes, this may be something that many GMs already understand. Good for you. Um, <laughs> it, it's that um, let's get let's go ahead and give each player a good chunk of knowledge to know that's that's niche and unique to them. Make sure that they either know what to go read or provide them with that information. In this case, even just giving you a few notes was enough, right? But then we can have a lot of missing context, which even though the players know a lot of things, they don't necessarily know how they connect to each other. Right. And they don't necessarily know how to use this information in order to accomplish a task. And that's where a lot of our mystery and, and surprise and reveals can make sense, right? How, how they can come along. Yeah, and I think I would also add to that, that, um, and of course, everyone knows their own table best, right? Um, of course. I think that in many cases, trust that players aren't going to just dump everything that they know. Yeah. Because if you have players who have a good sense of story and a good sense of, you know, what's dramatically interesting, they'll share what, the, you can give them a bunch of knowledge and they might not share most of that because, you know, for whatever reason, their character doesn't feel like it's an appropriate thing to say at this moment, or they don't quite trust these people enough, or they just don't think it's important in this moment. So they are yeah. just like, oh, yeah, no, I've known that. Oh, that was important. Crap. 
<laughs> and how, how many times have we done that in real life? And right? we have. Absolutely. Like there are yeah. many things that most of us know where we're just like, oh, yeah, I could have. I could have used that. I could have used that. <laughs> usually, usually it has to do with having an argument, right? <laughs> usually when you're in the middle of the argument, too, where you just have to sit back and go, dang it. <laughs> dang it. The next morning in the shower, you're like, I should have said. <laughs> There's, it's always it's always the shower thoughts where it's like, oh, thoughts. I could have said that and it would have been great. <laughs> Winning arguments with your uh, shampoo bottles, right? <laughs> Absolutely. But yeah, that that is also something to, to keep in mind that, you know, even if you do give your, your player something that is spoilerific, they might not know where it fits. And so they just won't say it. Yeah, they might not. And so, yeah, take that. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, culti- cultivate good tables who are who are willing to play around with with uh, what they know, and what they don't know. Uh, I also had a half baked idea i just wanted to throw out there um is maybe instead of just saying okay like at the bare minimum yes you have like knowledge religion or whatever but then like maybe we give everybody like certain tags right and we just say pick a topic Mm -hmm. right and then maybe they get i don't know three or four tags or something and then they can just say okay uh forging armor and weapons fire uh, legendary, you know, deity weapons, uh, bagels, you know, I don't know. Right. <laughs> and, and then it's like, okay, if these come up at the very least you get advantage or maybe you just succeed. Right. Or whatever. Plus as a GM, we can often paint ourselves into a corner where we go naked knowledge check. And then we think to ourselves, they're just going to have fun passing a check. And then they roll a one, yep. and then you're like, well, I need them to know the thing to move things along. It, it is an unfortunate uh, tendency of, of GMs, and this is a, a habit that I encourage breaking. Don't ever have the only solution be a, say, roll. <laughs> because if you do, the dice gods will look down and laugh and say, <laughs> oh, your players don't get to know that then. Yeah. I mean, definitely lock some knowledge behind checks, but then have another way to get into that knowledge. And Baldur's Gate 3 does a good job at doing this, where a lot of times the the knowledge that you can get or the extra thing you can get to through a skill check is usually extra, Mm -hmm. right? Everything is still going to move along, but do you want to know more? Do you want to kind of feel extra clever in this moment? Do you want to find option C when A and B are presented to you? You know, these are good ways to kind of handle those kinds of skill checks. So, uh, but yeah, you, you want to avoid like we move on, we don't move on. Yeah. Right. Uh, those are the, those are the traps that we don't want to get into. Oh, uh, here was one other thing I did want to mention. Um, Sometimes let, let's say I had told you. Because you, you got everything perfect, but Thank you. let's say that that I had told you some notes and then you went and you did your own research and you came to different conclusions, mm. right? Or you misread something or I misread something, you know, and so we had a different idea. So I go, okay, here is, here's the information. And then you show up in the game and you start giving the information and something is not right, right? How do we, how do we balance that? So I would say both of you need to consider, can this just change now? Now that it's been established, can I say, well, this world is different. If, the, if I say something as a GM and you're like, that's not right. The last thing I want you to do is go, um, actually in the middle of a session, right? Yeah. I don't, I don't want to do that because that undermines me, right? Instead, what I want you to do is afterwards say, hey, uh, what, what about this though? Right. Or like send me a PM or whatever. Even the PM is a little distracting during the during a session for me and and my brain. But um, but the other thing is, is, you know, you might go, well, it's Adam's game. It's a different universe. It's different. Absolutely. Right. Or vice versa. If you say something and I go, that's not quite right. I have a couple of interesting options. I can say, no, I'm going to decide now it is right. And now I'm going to slightly change my story so that the player feels invested and that they don't get the sense that 
every time I participate, I get corrected. Mm-hmm. So I'm just going to stop participating or, or, you know, cause students do that all the time. Sure. Um, or option B, there's a interesting reason why you thought that. And even though it's still wrong, right? Maybe the false information leads to an interesting plot development, or maybe we learned that whoever mentored you taught you wrong on purpose, Ooh. you know, cause they were like part of a cult or something. Um, always cults. <laughs> Always cults. I always blame cults for everything. I wonder why. <laughs> um, so uh, there's just a lot of interesting ways to go other than actually to each other. Yeah. Right. Because, I mean, unless you are actually playing the game, um, actually, no one likes to be um, actually. <laughs> Nobody likes that. Nobody likes that. Um, yeah, because then it just, it, then it kind of can turn into ego battle time. Yeah. And as soon as your players are in ego battle, you're having a bad time. Like you are, in, and I count the GM as a player in this case. Absolutely. You know, like you're going to have a bad time. So. Yeah, it was, it was really interesting having, having that space to do the exposition yesterday, because I was honestly waiting for, for you to like, uh, either correct what, what I was saying or have someone else come in. I was just like, this is what Hakoi knows. And in some very specific ways, Hakoi is very much like Flair in that once <laughs> once they get going on a subject that they know something about, uh, you're going to have to put like a, a roadblock in front of them to make them stop. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, because they're very interested. They're very taciturn otherwise, but once you get them yeah. on their special interests, they're like, oh no, let me tell you all the things that I know about this. <laughs> Here's my latest hyperfixation. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> so I, I was waiting for, for you to like cut me off on, on that. And I was like, okay, uh, he hasn't said anything or sent me any messages. I think I'm on the right track. Or at least I'm on what uh, Hakoi knows about this. Right, exactly. That's the other thing. It's like, what does Hakoi know versus mm-hmm. what is, you know? Because uh, guess what? In real life, we get information wrong all the time. Absolutely. Uh, but instead of like the magic mouth in the sky showing up and saying, actually, uh, you should be thinking this, just go, okay, well, let's roll. Either that is the truth or it isn't. And there's an interesting reason why, mm-hmm. you know, there, there could be a million reasons why we get information wrong. Lord knows we do it every day in our real life. Right. It's a very human thing to do. Like we, you know, facts are facts, but the way that we interpret facts is very like filtered through our experience and emotions and everything. So we just get, we get things wrong and that's fine. Yeah. All the time, all the time. And nobody likes to know it all. So truth. Let's keep that in mind. Mm-hmm. Um, I think at this point, our uh, listeners know it all. Uh, so, <laughs> or at least know a few more things than they did at the, at the top of the hour. I certainly learned things even just from last night's session. I had a really good time. I think the players, by and large, had a really good time. I think we're all also old, <laughs> so we all get, like, really tired. <laughs> and it's kind of funny how everyone's, like, kind of happy and squirrely when we start, and then it just really slows down as everyone's like, I'm going to bed. <laughs> Yeah, it was it was ten thirty when we ended last night, and everyone was just like, "Peace, I'm out." Yeah, like guys, I love you. Bye bye. <laughs> yeah, that sort of thing's gonna make playing very interesting. If uh, I ha- if uh, one of my travel weeks happens to fall on a on a game day, because uh, next place I'm going is three hours ahead. Yes. Well, what's nice about the uh, uh, having a, a character who's good at like smithing, we can always say you're making something. Yeah, right. You're busy. I actually am I'm playing a uh, a smith character in a different game, and uh, I only can go there every other week. So the other weeks, I'm crafting. There you go. You're making the fun stuff for them. Exactly. I'm like, hey guys, it's Christmas again. Here's all your goodies. Have fun. And then they're like, yay. You know? <laughs> So, not bad. Not bad at all. Anyway, why don't you take us home? Sure thing. So, uh, hopefully this has given all of you some some food for thought about how to handle exposition and whether or not to give information to players. I always err on the side of do because it makes the game more interesting and gives them more investment if they're hearing the information from one of their own instead of an NPC kind of preaching at them. 
So, you know, but you do as you like in, in your games and whatever works for you works for you. So thank you so much for joining us for this week of Inspiration Point. And until next time, stay inspired. Bye bye. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of Inspiration Point. If you'd like to support what we do, go and check out our Patreon at patreon.com slash inspiration point. If you can't support us directly, that's okay. You can also help support us by telling people about the podcast. A little inspiration goes a long way. Inspiration Point is edited and produced by Tiana Hansen and is distributed by Quest and Chaos. If you like what you hear with us, give Quest and Chaos YouTube or Twitch channels a visit. They play Dungeons and Dragons on a weekly basis and have a bunch of campaigns of Call of Cthulhu, D&D, and board game playthroughs archived on their YouTube. Join us next week for more inspiration. Thank you.